Welcome to week number two of a four-week series on Paul's letter to the Philippians. This is the story of the community learning how to live together in times of testing and in times of trouble. And as we saw last week in the book of Acts in chapter 16, it records the roots of this church in Philippi. And then nearly 10 years later, the Apostle Paul is in prison in Rome, and he writes a letter to encourage the church he planted a decade before. And think of it, Paul is writing this letter from inside prison, and he's encouraging those outside of prison. You don't hear that a lot. I mean, I've, I've visited people in prison before, and it's pretty much about them as far as they shouldn't be here, they need to get out, and, and all that. But this is not the situation. He's, he's focusing on those outside and encouraging them in the situations that they are in. Now, the people that day needed encouragement because persecution was becoming an everyday part of life for them. But we need encouragement too. Maybe we don't face the kind of persecution that the early church faced or that the church in China or, or Middle East faces these days. But as individuals, we certainly face times of testing and times of trial. This letter, the Philippians, book Philippians, is God's instruction to us about how to live during tough times. And you probably are going through some tough times, some difficult times. It may be small, it may be large and surmountable. But if you're going through difficult times, the book of Philippians is a good one to go through. But it does. It teaches us, it, learn, it helps us learn how to live as if God is in control, as we learned last Sunday. We covered that last Sunday as we looked at Philippians chapter 1. It's learning how to live as servants, which we're going to learn today, chapter 2, and we'll see Jesus' example about that. It's learning how to live a life of loss. And this is Paul's example, which will be made clear for us in Philippians chapter 3 next Sunday. And it's learning how to live a life of generous friendship, the example of the Philippians, Philippians themselves. Uh, and it will be that example we set for us in chapter 4. But to briefly review last week, uh, we talked about learning how to live as if God is in control. And of course, God is, <laughs> is in control, but there is a big difference between saying God is in control and living as if God is is in control. It's the difference between our theology and our actions, our, our words and our walk. Do they match up? Together, like the church in Philippi, we can become a community that demonstrates God is in control by the way we live. So last week, we looked at chapter 1 in Philippians, and we learned how to live as if God is in control by realizing that persecution cannot silence prayer. Persecution cannot silence prayer. You think of Paul and Silas and, and others, as they were persecuted, they still connected and prayed, and uh, uh, we saw that last Sunday. We also learned how to live as if God is in control by taking on God's perspective and priorities. We saw Paul's example, that he was gospel-centric, and we asked ourselves, do we look at the outrageous events swirling around us in terms of their effect on God's plan? Or do we ask, why is this happening to me? 
thinking that maybe things are out of control. We also learn how to live as if God is in control by trusting him for the outcome. Paul wrote to his friends in Philippi that what has happened will turn out for my deliverance. From this very important phrase, we learned that Paul understood God is in control in terms of outcomes, not events. And whatever the outcome, Paul was rock solid about the fact that he would experience glory as well as goodness from any set of events. It didn't matter what the event was, God's outcome was perfect. And finally, we, we uh, learned how to live as if God is in control by receiving suffering. Not a really good thing you maybe want to receive, but it's, it, we, we learned about that, though, as something that is sometimes granted by God to the community of the faith. The suffering happens. And this is very challenging to our 21st century ears. <laughs> but our ability to suffer together is a sign of God's kingdom on the earth here and now. And this week, we turn our attention to chapter 2 and discover that Jesus is our model for learning how to live as a servant, especially in troubled times. His model is not only praiseworthy and notable, but it's also accessible for us. Paul challenges us to live up to the example Jesus set. And we can do it. It's accessible. So we're going to look at this chapter, chapter 2, Philippians 2, and some portions of the scripture will be on the screen, others won't, so make sure you turn in your Bible to Philippians chapter 2, follow along with us, because I might not have the version that you are using, your favorite version, but uh, follow along with us as we take a look at this chapter. And the first thing that we've, we notice here, <coughs> excuse me, is that we don't look out for number one. Don't look out for number one. And what is number one? You know, sometimes you say, well, if God is number one, what do you mean? But sometimes number one is usually yourself. So let's look at the first four verses of chapter two here and take a look at the, um, what, uh, what Paul has to say here. Verse one, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. We'll stop there for right now. So we are instructed that in the, in the midst of difficulties, that we should not look out for number one. Don't look out for number yourself. It certainly runs counter to the spirit of this age, especially these days. It's easy to be benevolent and kind when everything is rolling along well. We can be very nice to people. We can help people. But when things go south, sometimes that changes. And Paul laid out the challenge in front of people who were experiencing persecution. For example, you look back at the words in verses 3 and 4. It'll be on the screen for you. It says, Do not, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should, not, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So the scripture tells us that we should not look after our own well-being only. That, that's fine, but not the only thing that we should be doing. 
but that we should also look after the well-being of others who are around us and we pay attention to. We learn from the Gospels that when Jesus was on the cross, he focused on the Father's will and was concerned about the standing of those who persecuted him. In fact, he prayed, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Or even before that terrible day on the cross, Jesus placed his focus on the Father's will and was constantly reconciling people to God. What an example that Jesus set for us. In fact, whether in times of persecution or in times of safety and security, there's simply no other way to reflect Jesus Christ. Many people, even Christians, <laughs> live only to make a good impression on others or to please themselves. But selfishness like that brings discord. So Paul stressed spiritual unity. He asked the Philippians to love one another, to be one in spirit and purpose. So when we work together, caring for the problems of others as if they were our problems, we demonstrate Christ's example of putting others first and we experience then unity together. Don't be so concerned about making a good impression or meeting your own needs that you strain relationships in God's family. So what would such an attitude described in verses 3 and 4 here, what would such an attitude look like in our everyday lives? What would, what would our lives look like? What would happen if we were to practice, put into practice verses 3 and 4? Now, we are routinely told that if we don't look out for ourselves, no one else will. If you don't take care of yourself, who will? Selfishness like that can ruin a church, but genuine humility can build it up. Being humble involves having a true perspective about ourselves. It doesn't mean that we should put ourselves down. Humility is not thinking meanly of ourselves. <laughs> it's just not thinking of ourselves at all. It's thinking of others. Before God, we are sinners, saved only by God's grace, but we are saved. So we have great worth in God's kingdom. We are, set, we are to set aside selfishness and treat others with respect and common decency, considering others' interests as more important than our, our, own link, our, our own interests links us with Christ, connects us with him, who was the true example of humility. And Paul introduces that example of Jesus in, in Philippians chapter 2 here in this next portion of Scripture. We see the great example of Jesus. In these next few verses, 5 through 11, we hear one of the great songs of the early church. Some scholars believe that this passage was actually a, a worship song sung by the very first followers of Jesus. It's a song filled with challenge and wisdom for us today. You follow along in your Bibles as I, as I read, starting with verse 5. <clears throat> your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We'll stop right there at this point. So these six verses break down into basically three sentences. First, he made himself nothing. Second, he humbled himself. And third, God exalted him. And this early hymn is like the steps downward into humility. Jesus is our example. And we, we might think that when God came to earth, he would demand worship from everyone. But he didn't. When God came to, to earth, he made himself nothing. He became like an ordinary man. He humbled himself living a life of service. And then humbled himself even unto death. And also to beyond humility. He suffered the kind of death filled with shame, death on a cross. This doesn't happen to Jesus accidentally. This is the path Jesus chose to walk. And here in Philippians, this ancient worship song doesn't leave Jesus in the grave. We see that God the Father exalted Jesus and raised him to life. And the Father raised him high above every other name. Now that's a song worth singing. But it's more than a worship song. The Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus is our example. Paul tells the church in Philippi to have the same attitude that Jesus had. Jesus was humble. He was willing to give up his rights to order, in order to obey God and serve people. And like Christ, we should have a, a servant's attitude, serving out of love for God as well as for others not out of guilt or fear. <laughs> How many times have you looked at that clipboard <laughs> and when we had some kind of need going around or whatever, and we might be able to serve or help out, you might have done it out of guilt. <laughs> okay, I haven't done junior church for a while. Or, or what, you know, oh, well, the fellowship time, I probably better sign up. I haven't done that for a while. How many times have you done stuff out of guilt instead of being able to do it out of love? and out of serving God and others. You can choose your attitude in any of that. You can choose your attitude as you serve. What's your attitude going to be? And you can approach life expecting to be served, or you can look for opportunities to serve others. During times of trouble or persecution, we are tempted to defend ourselves. When things get rough, things get tough, we kind of withdraw and we put up the shields. When people misunderstand us at work, when people ridicule us for our beliefs in public, when our own family members don't understand our faith, we face the temptation to argue, to dispute. But the Apostle Paul says that we should have the same humility of heart and posture as Jesus did. Jesus Christ, our Lord. <laughs> This message is repeated in many other places in Scripture as well. For example, uh, four different times the Bible says God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Four different times that happens. How different this is from our culture today. We need to be reminded of the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. There is no place for triumphalism in our, in our lives or in the life of the church. Exaltation is the Father's work. It's God's work. It's not our work. 
And if it, it requires faith from us to trust that the Father will raise us up in His time and in His way. It's not our job. We do the serving part. We respond in obedience for what He has for us. God does the exaltation. Often people excuse or justify selfishness and pride or, or even evil by claiming their rights. They think, I can cheat on this test. After all, I deserve to pass this class. Or I can spend all this money on myself because I worked hard for it. But as believers, we should have a different attitude. One that enables us to lay aside our rights in order to serve others. If we say we follow Christ, we must also say we want to live as He lived. And that's what we are looking to do as followers of Jesus. We follow in His footsteps. We live as He lived. Do what He does. We should develop His attitude of humility as we serve, even when we're not likely to get recognition for our efforts. And that's so difficult sometimes for some people. You do something good, and you might want to get a little recognition, a little thank you card somehow, some way. But see, when we serve others, we shouldn't expect anything, not even a thank you card. It's serving them out of humility. An attitude of serving them is serving Jesus. And so as we do that, we, and it's nice to get a thank you card. It's nice to get some recognition, sure, but we shouldn't be doing it for that. So are you clinging maybe selfishly to your rights, or are you willing to serve freely? And remember, these are Paul's instructions through the Holy Spirit to people facing persecution. They were facing it every day. Then we look at verses 12 and 13, and we see that uh, Paul says an interesting phrase about working out our salvation. So after leading the Philippians in this beautiful worship song, Paul brings a practical word for them and for us in these two verses, verses 12 and 13. It will be on the screen for you. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. But how strange these words sound in our ears. You read that through and you go, hold on, wait a second. Maybe something kind of trips you up a little bit. We are saved by grace through faith, right? <laughs> the Scripture tells us that. Yet it's the same Apostle Paul who said we are saved by grace through faith. He also said this in Philippians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Huh? What's Paul doing here? Has he changed his mind? Is he inconsistent? No, no. What Paul is saying is that we have been given salvation. It is a gift. And having received the gift, our only reasonable response is to work toward imitating the example of Jesus working out your salvation. Maybe that will take some work on our part, but the work does not save. As Dallas Willard said, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. We don't want to be the kind of person who fails to respond to God's grace. The truth is that Jesus gave us a free pass to heaven. 
And he's, he's been trying to make us fit for heaven ever since. <laughs> and obedience, obedience is the path to Christian growth. But what do we do when we don't feel like obeying? And there's moments you don't feel like obeying. God hasn't left us alone in our struggles to do His will. You see in verses 12 and 13 there, He wants to come alongside us, be within us to help. God helps us desire to obey Him and then gives us the power to do what He wants. Reread those verses, 12 and 13. The secret to a changed life is to submit to God's control and let Him work. So the next time... You can ask God to help you desire to do His will. <laughs> help me do your will, Lord. All that Paul is saying sounds challenging even for people who are not facing persecution. <laughs> but the, the path to Christian maturity is the same in good times as well as bad times. Humble yourself because God gives grace to the humble and resists the proud. So really, in good times or bad, there is simply no other way to reflect Jesus Christ but through humility. And then the last, uh, a couple more verses here, verses 14 through 18. We discover here in this final passage that in hard times, blameless and pure people shine forth by holding on and holding out. <laughs> verses uh, 14 through 18, follow along in your Bible on that. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out, or some versions say hold on to, the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and the service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So you can tell that the Apostle Paul was quite the preacher uh, because after singing the worship song previously, his preaching becomes very practical, very practical. He tells us to do everything without complaining or arguing. <laughs> okay, everything without complaining or arguing. And this is true for both individuals and for the community of faith. To set aside complaining or arguing is a corporate discipline that is only possible when people realize the blessings of grace, the blessings of salvation. We have been saved by grace. What is there to argue or complain about? <laughs> As we have the focus that we should have. And we would look like a different kind of people to the rest of the watching world. If there, were, if there were a community who, who could live together without complaining or arguing, they would shine forth like the stars in the heavens. They would be seen as blameless and pure, even though they would be well aware that God is the one who made them that way. <laughs> it wasn't what they did. Our life, our life should be characterized by moral purity and, and patience and, and peacefulness so that we will shine brightly in a dark and depraved world. A transformed life is an effective witness to the power of God's Word. So is your life shining brightly? Or is it clouded by complaining and arguing? 
We need to shine out for God. Then the Apostle Paul tells us to hold on to the word of life. This is a wonderful and challenging uh, command. But if we can hold on to the scriptural word of life given to us by the Holy Spirit, we will also be able to hold out the words of life, offering them to our families and our friends and our community as well, which would be a demonstration of God's kingdom here on earth. And then finally, Paul mentions himself as being poured out as a drink offering. (laughs) Paul regarded his life as a sacrifice. He didn't really care much what would happen to himself. He just cared that the gospel was furthered and people came to know Jesus as Savior. Even if he had to die, Paul was content, knowing that he had helped the Philippians live for Christ. When you're totally committed to serving Christ, sacrificing to build the faith of others brings a a joy in your heart. Nothing else can compare. Well, the second chapter of Philippians puts us in touch with the the ancient worship of the earliest Christians and the, the very heart of what it means to follow Jesus, because that's what we're all about. We are people who follow Jesus, want to do His will, want to learn. And when people wrote his letter, when Paul wrote his letter to comfort the brothers and sisters in Philippi, Paul pointed to Jesus as their and ours, our example, their example. The Lord's example doesn't require of, of us miracles and supernatural living. I hope you can understand that. These things are certainly possible, but they are not a requirement for following Jesus. (laughs) The heart of our faith is to follow the humble example of Jesus, especially in times of trial and persecution. Are you going through some right now these days? His example of humility and service is within our reach. It's our calling, both individual as well as as, as, as a church body. The question I guess we all need to ask ourselves, will we answer that call? Will we answer that call? I'm going to pray, and worship team is going to come on up and lead us in songs. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your message today, and thank you, Lord, for speaking to us clearly about these things from chapter 2 of Philippians. And I would pray, Lord, that if you have spoken to any of us here today, in such a way that we need to respond, I pray, Lord, that we would respond with obedience. Holy Spirit, if you're you're tapping our shoulder about something, I pray, Lord, that we would respond in in obedience through prayer right now, during the time we're going to be singing some songs, that we would do business with you. Maybe it's up here at the altar, maybe it's right where we're at. But Lord, I pray that we would respond in obedience to what you have taught us today. And so, Lord, your example that you set before us and how to live and how to serve others, Lord, I pray that you would work that out in us as well. And specifically this week, I pray, Lord, that you give us opportunities, moments that we can serve other people and be able to uh, do that in a way that we are serving you, <laughs> not to expect to get anything back. But Lord, thank you for your example that you set before us, being willing to sacrifice yourself for others. Help us, Lord, to have that kind of perspective, sacrificial servant. 
And so, Lord, I pray again that you'd speak to us clearly about these things. And if, again, there's something in our life we need to give over to you, we would do that now in prayer as we sing these uh, songs together. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking to us. Pray, Lord, that you'd have your way in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.